Jesus said, <clears throat> my house shall be a house of prayer for all people. Um, usually there's three kinds of churches. There's, there's churches that pray when there's an emergency. That's probably most churches. When something arises, out come the, the prayers, the petitions. Then there's churches that really have a deeper understanding of the importance of prayer. And so they'll have a prayer ministry. Um, and so they'll have designated intercessors or prayer leaders, and they'll have a, a, a prayer meeting that's part of the ministry. And um, so prayer then becomes a part of the ministry, and oftentimes it's one of the smallest parts of the ministry. And then the third type of church is the church that prays. The whole church prays on a regular basis. Everybody prays. When, when the devil meets a Christian who really prays. When I say really prays, I'm, I'm talking about they really do have a prayer life. They, they seek God. They pray. They, they have communion with the Lord every day. And they're, um, they're regular and they're serious about prayer. Satan leaves. He knows he needs to leave them alone. He knows that their life is bad territory for him. And, but uh, when the devil meets a church, there's not very many, but when the devil meets a church that prays, the whole church prays, his deal is done. He, he, he has lost not only his initiative there in that ministry, but in whatever territory that church has, Satan's has a very difficult time operating. There's nothing more lethal to the kingdom of darkness than a praying body of people. And so Jesus said, my church shall be a house of prayer for all people. The breath of the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. And breathing is prayer. And so a church that prays is a church that breathes. And we are trying to get our church to breathe. Praise the Lord. So just think about that and uh, come join us and let's breathe. Let's breathe in the Holy Spirit. Breathe life in and out. Um, last time I was in the pulpit on this subject, I shared, I think, number 16. We're just sharing some thoughts about prayer that will help to uh, encourage and uh, just leverage some conviction, some interest, and some desire in your heart and to seed your imagination with some ideas about prayer that will help to open up your prayer life. Most people don't get involved in prayer, corporate prayer in a church, because most corporate prayer in a church is only limited to one or two types of prayer, and there are just all kinds of prayer. And um, we've kind of already covered this in previous segments, so we want to open up your understanding of prayer. And the last time we spoke on this, we shared about the power of intercession and how that in Ezekiel, for example, God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now, I'm just reviewing a couple of the things, summarizing a couple of things that I said when we were on this topic last time. So intercession is not just praying for one another. Intercession is specifically running into the gap, running into a gap that exists between sinners who are in trouble with God and facing impending doom or judgment 
because of their sowing and because of their activities and running into the gap between that judgment and the sinner and pleading with God for mercy, pleading with God for salvation. That truly is what intercession is. It's going into the gap. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? It says in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered for us, suffered for sins, the just for the unjust to bring you to God. So that's how Jesus brought us to God, was the just for the unjust. That is the core of intercession. It, the intercessor is the just using their voice for the unjust. The righteous using their position to plead mercy for the unrighteous. The forgiven pleading for the guilty. The spirit filled for the demon possessed. The living for the dead. That is intercession. It's so much more than just praying for somebody else. It's specifically praying for a world in trouble. Praying for an individual in trouble. And God wants us to represent him upon the earth. The blood the Bible says is speaking a better covenant in heaven, speaking of Jesus' forgiveness. But he needs us to represent the blood upon the earth. In other words, to speak what the blood is speaking and pray it and speak it over the people that the blood is speaking for on the mercy seat in heaven. So this morning, I want to pick up this thought and kind of do phase two about intercession, and I want to share this morning about the intercessor's heart, the heart of the intercessor. The intercessor's heart begins by pleading for righteousness out beyond concern over who's right. And think about it for a moment. The intercessor doesn't get started until he's out beyond worrying about whether someone's right or whether they're wrong. The intercessor moves in a territory where people who are wrong need somebody because they have no voice before God. They need a voice. So the intercessor's not worried about whether people are right or wrong. The intercessor is concerned with righteousness, not rightness. God is never wrong. God's never unrighteous. So God's never wrong, but he's also never satisfied with being right. The Bible says that God is love, so his heart is always concerned with righteousness, not just rightness. So those with the intercessor's heart, they work with God towards his objectives because they understand the mission and they're possessed with his motive. Righteousness is the synergy between God's truth and his motivation of love. That's why righteousness is different from rightness. If God were simply just truth, then he would only be concerned with correctness. But the Bible says ultimately and essentially God is love, but not without truth. There's a synergy between them. And where the two combine and are fused together, you have righteousness. Many people have difficulty with intercessory prayer because their heart has trouble getting beyond wanting evildoers to face judgment. 
if you are a very correct oriented person, and I'm a very correct oriented person. I think probably every Christian to one degree or another ought to be correct oriented. But if that is your primary focus and primary orientation, then you're always going to struggle with intercession because you don't even begin to operate in the heart of intercession until you get out beyond somebody being wrong or what's right. You have to pray for people who are essentially wrong and are enemies of the gospel. That's how I got saved. Somebody had enough of an intercessor's heart to pray that a hard rebel atheist would be forgiven. You know, the intercessor standing between the judgment of God that people bring on themselves because of their actions, because of their behavior, because of their rebellion against God. And they plead for the mercy of God over that person's life. It's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. He wasn't saying, I've decided I'm changing my standards. It doesn't matter what they did. I forgive them because I've changed my standards of right and wrong. God's never changed any of his standards. But he came showing that the intercessor's heart is concerned ultimately with righteousness, which is the whole, the total of God's character, purpose, truth, and mission consolidated together and operating. You know, without the Holy Spirit providing you and I with access to the intercessor's heart, it would be impossible to be Christ-like in today's world of offense, wouldn't it? Think about it. We could not have an inner, if we did not have an intercessor's heart, we could not be Christ-like. There's no way you and I could put ourselves at Calvary and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We can't even do that when someone cuts us off on US 19. I mean, um, or we see some nonsense on television and there we go. You know, we're ready to call down uh, blazing uh, fire. And I'm not saying that, that judgment isn't what's needed sometimes <laughs> but that's God's business what's our business the intercessor's heart you think Jesus didn't see the need for judgment Jesus said there is one that will judge you in the last day my coming to offer mercy and forgiveness doesn't mean that I've changed my mind and there's never going to be any judgment anymore no it's because judgment is coming you need this mercy and you need this forgiveness you need to prepare yourself because you're never going to be perfect enough to escape the judgment of God. So what do you need? You need his grace and his mercy to adopt you and accept you as a son and a daughter while you continue to make mistakes, but you now make them with your name written in the Lamb's book of life. The Holy Spirit installed in your heart so that you're not a slave to sin and you just, the Bible says the righteous fall seven times and they get up again. You know, the scripture that I opened up with in Ezekiel said that uh, the Lord was looking at the society in Ezekiel's day. And he said, I'm looking for someone who will stand in the gap for me. And I could not find anyone. Now, I found that a little bit curious. Um... And I wondered, why could not God find one intercessor, one person to stand in the gap? Because the society in Ezekiel's day had, um, 
had degraded into two distinct groups of people. Those two groups of people were evil people who were very entrenched and persistent and righteous, essentially righteous people, who were hurt and angry and offended. And once God's people, once the righteous people, whatever you want to call them, become hurt and angry and offended, they're of no use in the gap. They can't function in the gap. They don't go into the gap. They're polarized. They're over on the other end of the spectrum complaining about the wicked and the impact of the wicked upon their lives. And so God said, I, I looked for an intercessor. I found none. I want to share with you a little bit about the difference between the heart of Jesus and his ministry and the heart of the Pharisees and their ministry. The difference between the ministry of the Pharisees and the ministry of Jesus is a dramatic contrast between being hung up on what's right versus flowing in righteousness. And so I want to kind of fill that in for you a little bit. When the Pharisees at one point sent some guards to have Jesus arrested, how many of you re remember the incident? As I go on, you probably will. They sent, they sent a contingent of soldiers. They said, we want him. They ordered him, arrest him, and bring him back here. When the soldiers came back without Jesus, the, gar, uh, the, the Pharisees and the priests were mad. They were upset. And they questioned him. They said, why haven't you brought him? And you could just see these guys bewildered because they just come from the presence of Jesus. And all they could think to say to the Pharisees was, never has a man spoken like this. They were just undone by Jesus. So the, the priests humiliated them. And uh, they humiliated them and said, are you deceived also like the masses that are following Jesus? Are you deceived like the rest of those people? Since when have you seen any of us following Jesus? He doesn't have our endorsement, so how can he possibly be? You've, you, must have your, you must have your mind muddled and confused and deceived. You can see the attitude of contempt that the Pharisees had for the people that they ministered to. And so the Pharisees ended up, and this is, this is the actual scripture in John 7, 49. The Pharisees said to the soldiers, but this rabble who do not know the law are cursed. Can you imagine God's shepherds, pastors, ministers, revealing what they really think and saying this rabble don't know the word, they're cursed. It's apparent that the Pharisees never stood in the gap for the lost sinners in their community. What a sad day for sinners when those who should be their shepherds can't intercede for them on their behalf because they only have contempt for them. But how different Jesus is. And here's where the contrast comes in. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 34 it reveals how completely opposite the heart of Jesus the heart of the intercessor is compared to the Pharisees. And it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd 
as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now look, the Pharisees saw the huge crowd and what did they say? Oh, they're demon possessed. They don't, they don't take the word seriously. And that was, the, that was the attitude of the ministry towards their congregation, towards their people. Jesus sees the same crowd and he's moved with compassion and he looks at them and he sees beyond their sin and he sees their problem. They have no shepherd. He was well aware, more aware than the Pharisees were of how bad, how evil, how wrong, how ignorant the people were. He was well aware of it. But what he saw in the depth of their life was they don't have a shepherd. And the Pharisees couldn't see that. And the reason the Pharisees couldn't see that is because the Pharisees thought their job was to protect the truth from the ignorance of the people. And so they were God's guards guarding the scriptures so the ignorance of the people wouldn't shame or defile the scriptures. But Jesus saw the people. He said, the poor people have no shepherd. And he took the truth and elevated the people with the truth. He wasn't the least bit worried about the truth being defiled by the ignorance of sinners. He knew that the truth was there to help them, to lift them up. And therefore it says, he was moved with compassion, so he began teaching them many things. So there was Jesus spending time from village to village out in the countryside, spending time with people who had been, who had either quit fellowshipping with the believers or had been kicked out or just become disgruntled. Jesus was not a rebel and he was not a renegade. People get it so wrong. This was not Jesus trying to show his contempt for the Pharisees. That's utter nonsense. That's something that another man would do. We're talking about the good shepherd. Jesus did everything he did ministering to those people because they needed it. He tells us why he did it. They need a shepherd. He wasn't trying to make a social point. He wasn't trying to criticize the church. He was simply doing the job that his heart had employed him to do, and that was to take the truth and break through and save sinners with it. You know, when religion is only concerned with correctness, it only has judgment to offer poor sinners. But from the intercessor's heart, from the intercessor's heart, mercy shines in search of sinners to offer them grace to help. Jesus spent his hours in prayer, and I'm sure he wasn't there on those lonely hillsides at night praying away, him and the Father, in prayer, praying for himself. I seriously doubt it. I believe that Jesus was praying for the people he would minister to the next day and that week. He was praying for the people he had ministered to. He was praying for those multitudes that chased him everywhere he went. The shepherds, I mean the sheep that needed a shepherd. And one of the reasons we know that is because Luke records at the Last Supper, they're having these exchanges and Peter, who he calls Simon, 
he turns to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brethren. I've always loved that because notice that Jesus completely passes up a wonderful opportunity to point out to Peter what's wrong with his personality. He's got a great opportunity. Peter's impetuous. Peter's always bragging beyond his capabilities, always saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be this, and Jesus doesn't even comment. He knows Peter's propensities. He knows his weakness. He understands the, the, uh, the uh, um, uh, uh, propensity um, to act. But the fact is, is that he knew that Peter would always be who Peter is. Not that he would always sin, but he'd always be who Peter is. Jesus wasn't trying to craft perfect public figures when he was dealing with the disciples. He was trying to get them to depend upon him, depend upon the Holy Spirit, and understand and receive the Father's love. And so he said, Peter, you're going to fall flat on your face. He said, but I have prayed, I've pleaded in prayer for you. Now listen, there's something strong in that statement. Here's Jesus Christ, God, the eternal I am. He is the voice that spoke to Moses and said, I am that I am. Tabernacling there in human flesh, talking to Peter. And he says, Peter, I have wrestled in prayer. I have pleaded. I have pleaded your case in prayer so that your faith will not fail. You're going to fall flat on your face. It's going to hurt you. And the devil is going to be all over you like a five-legged mountain lion shouting at you, talking to you, telling you, see, you just never learn. He said, but I have prayed you through that fall and your faith will get back up again. Somebody say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. You see, the intercessor's heart sees a rebound after failure. The intercessor's heart is out there moving, out there in an area beyond concern over right and wrong. And it is ministering righteousness, praying ahead of time for those that fall flat on their face that they will get up again. The intercessor's heart knows God has a rebound for those that fall. In fact, Hebrews chapter 6 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and then find grace to help us in the time of need. The sinner is never more safe in times of trouble than in the prayers of an intercessor's heart. It's the best place for a sinner to be is in the prayers of somebody's heart. That could be your heart praying somebody into the kingdom of God while they are as yet an enemy of the cross of Christ, maybe even your enemy. And so Jesus said, pray for those who despitefully use you. I want to tell you this morning as we kind of wrap this up with a thought, if the intercessor's heart is restored to the church today, to the body of Christ, 
now today in our troubled times, if there really is a great impartation of the intercessor's heart into the people of the body of Christ today across our nation, indeed across the world, then Jesus will lead us into that great revival that everybody's talking about. But if that intercessor's heart does not begin to show up and begin to really take root in churches and in the body of Christ, that big revival everyone's talking about is just going to keep being a can that's kicked down the road because it's the heart of the intercessor that goes ahead and prepares those hearts, pleading their case. God, remember, looked down in Ezekiel's day and he said, I'm looking for somebody to stand in the gap and I can't find anybody. Israel was filled with religious people. The whole nation was a theocracy. They had tons of church. But God said, I can't find anybody to stop the outpouring of judgment upon all the wickedness in the land. So with that intercessor's heart is restored to the body of Christ, guess what? It will bring the revival. Everyone is prophesying and talking and wishing and hoping about. And I'll share with you how that's going to happen. At the very beginning of the gospel and at the very end of the gospel, Jesus did the same thing, two different instances. And I believe it's because he, at his initial appearing, he wanted to make this message. And just before he left, he wanted to punctuate it and reinforce it. And we find the first incident in Luke chapter 5 where Peter has been out with his friends and his partners fishing all night long. They've come in, they're washed, they've washed their nets, and they've caught nothing. Jesus is on the seashore, and he's preaching to people. Jesus gets done preaching, and you can see that in the background, Peter's been washing out his nets and putting them up and getting the ship you know, anchored and, and uh, tied down. And Jesus finishes up and he turns to Peter. You all probably know the story. He turns to Peter and he says, he said, well, I'll just read it to you. <laughs> when he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now, you know that Peter responded and said, you're a preacher, I'm a fisherman. Fished all night. There's no fish out there. If there are, they're running away from us. So, but Jesus apparently had some powers of persuasion that normal people didn't have because Peter said, nevertheless, you could see the eye rolls, nevertheless, at your word, we'll do it. And Peter goes out, he drops the nets, and of course he encompasses such a load of fish that the nets start breaking, and they manage to get those fish to shore. Now then at the very end, three and a half years later, the end of Jesus' ministry, he does the exact same thing. He's died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's on the shores of the Lake of Galilee. The disciples, Peter and the disciples, are in a ship, and they're out, and they've been out all night fishing. And so Jesus from the shore, and I'll read this one to you because it's got some nuances in it. So Jesus shouts to them from the shore, Boys, you don't have any fish, do you? They answered him, No exclamation point. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Listen, Jesus knows how to bring fish 
to your net. He knows how to gather those fish where they didn't exist before. The body of Christ is filled with people who have prayed and not seen answers, particularly in the area of intercessory prayer. We need the intercessor's heart to be restored, to be healed, to be restored, to be built back up in us. We need to hear God say, put those intercessory nets and drop them on the right side of the boat. He knows right where to lead you to pray. He, he knows who to show you to pray for. If you will be willing, though you have toiled over all of your neighbors in your neighborhood, nobody's gotten saved in five years. If you will begin to go back and intercede again, you'll hear Jesus say, go up the street and drop your nets for a catch. We need to hear the Lord directing us back into intercessory prayer and letting him tell us where these nets are dropped. The intercessor's heart is God's fish finder. And, you know, many of us have said, well, you know, I don't think, I don't think anybody in this neighborhood wants to get saved. But God knows how to bring those people into that net. And all of those multitudes that the Pharisees drove away, Jesus attracted them. The Pharisees were saying, those people are ignorant. Those people are not interested in God. And then here comes Jesus. And those same people are flocking, going without eating, following Jesus in the wilderness. I mean, it's astounding. And that's what infuriated the Pharisees was they were convinced nobody's interested in God. They're just cursed. Jesus, Jesus proved that with rare exception, they were all interested in God. They're all thirsty for God. They just need someone with an intercessor's heart who can get out beyond what's right and begin to stand in the gap for the righteousness of God, the love and the truth of God in concert together. So I'd like you to close your Bible and stand with me. And we want to take a moment and just bring our hearts before the Lord this morning. Now, I don't know where you all are at in your prayer life. Some of you I do know. But I don't know where all of you are at. And, and I certainly don't know where most of you are with regard to real intercessory prayer. I know that sometimes we've been given the idea that intercessory prayer doesn't even happen until you've put three hours into it. If that's the case, I'll never be an intercessor. It just isn't going to, it's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you've got to pray three hours or it's not intercession. It's not time. It's the heart. It's the heart. And God's fast. He's quick. He can speak quickly it may take time to get you in his presence but once you're there God speaks quick praise the Lord and so let's pray I'd like to pray for you and pray that the Lord will stir in your heart a prayer life and specifically an intercessor's heart now there's about two dozen other forms of prayer other than intercession that don't have have very little to do with intercession so that's not the whole ticket, but it's what we're talking about this morning. 
and the world needs it. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you've not sent us out to pray with our own understanding, but the Holy Spirit is praying. The Spirit of intercession. You have that heart that we need, Lord. And you are eager to give it to us. And I pray that whatever in our heart, whatever in our life is standing in the way right now, that we would be willing to lay it upon the altar and let you teach us, show us. When we don't know what to pray for as we ought, show us. Show us, Lord. And Father, I ask for a deeper desire to intercede for the lost. I ask, Father, for a deeper desire to be led into prayer for the unsaved. Heavenly Father, I feel like there is a whole harvest all around us just waiting for harvesters in intercession to go and stand in the gap and to plead. Every day, people are being crushed under judgment that they have brought upon themselves. And the enemy is abusing souls all around us. They need someone to stand in the gap. They have no shepherd. You are offering yourself through us. And so, Father, help us to see ourselves as the ambassadors of Christ, interceding, standing in the gap for those who have no prayer life, don't know how to pray, don't know who to pray to, Lord, help us to speak for those without a voice. Put that heart in us, Father. Give us the energy, Lord. Even if we just begin with a little step, increase it. Father, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Let conviction fall. Let desire rise up from within us. Whatever it takes to shake us up. But Father God, install the intercessor's heart into your people. I pray that our prayer gatherings will grow. Every week, more people will come out and join. I pray that people that don't have time to pray are going to start getting convicted and saying, I don't have time not to pray. And they're going to start coming. I pray, Father God, that you will expand our prayer times in our closets at home. Father, wherever we are, Begin to deepen. Begin to draw us to yourself. Any area where we are deceived, thinking that we can continue going on in our own strength, shake that thing up. Father God, don't let us deceive ourselves. We need a shepherd. And Lord, we just thank you for coming and for speaking over us, for being with us and waiting for us out there in the harvest field. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen and amen. Praise God.